Welcome. Welcome back to the Future of Freight. This is Alan Anthro, the Detroit Bureau Chief for Freight Waste. I'm joined by Amy Davis, the president of, of New Power at Commons Incorporated. And this is not Amy's first uh, go-round with us here at Freight Waves. We uh, enjoyed her talk with Craig Fuller uh, a few months ago during the uh, during the Alternative uh, uh, Summit, Alternative Energy Summit. And uh, Amy, welcome back. It's great to have you back with us. Thanks, Alan. Really appreciate being here again. Yeah, we've uh, we've had an opportunity to talk a few times. It's great to uh, great to catch up with Cummins. I am fascinated by your company. I'm fascinated by the efforts you're making. I I told someone the other day. I said, you know, Cummins is sort of like if they had a roulette wheel, they would be playing red and black all around the the wheel because you seem to be a little bit in everything, and a lot of that falls into your area, Amy, as the as the head of New Power, the president of New Power. So um, I wanted to kind of start in an area that you guys have made a lot of moves in and continue to do that, and that is hydrogen. Uh, it's an area that fascinates me. Uh, we are covering it certainly from the in the Class 8 space. It's a, it's a nascent technology, as you know. There's only a few, and we don't have very many, if any, on the road other than maybe some test trucks. But uh, it's coming, seems to be coming. So, it, But it does continue to be elusive uh, from a transportation fuel perspective. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the chicken, uh, the egg and the chicken and the egg, I suppose. Um, are we really going to make it this time with hydrogen? Well, I'm excited, Alan. I'll tell you, um, fuel cells have made tremendous progress on the technology curve, both on cost and durability, reliability. So they're a real viable alternative for heavy duty trucks and a lot of applications actually in this zero carbon, zero emissions kind of solutions. So fuel cells, as you said, will need the availability of hydrogen to make it really work. Um, and I'm a bit optimistic, I'll have to say, for a couple reasons. Uh, first of all, this is the first time we've really seen government entities make specific dollar commitments for funding of green hydrogen production. This started really in Europe at the beginning of the pandemic. And... Um, China soon followed. And even now, I think in the U.S., there's some optimism. If you look inside the infrastructure bill and um, some of the comments from the Biden administration, they're pretty excited about funding specific infrastructure investments around hydrogen. So I think the government commitment is going to be one key factor. The second thing is that industry players are stepping up as well. So we've recently announced a couple partners. There's a lot of other players talking as well. But people like Chevron, for example, we announced an MOU with Chevron or Air Products, just two examples of companies that are taking the lead and putting their own money where their mouth is, trying to build infrastructure um, cor uh, corridors, if you will, or areas where they can specifically make hydrogen available and then put some applications uh, in place to use the hydrogen. So if we do this in a very thoughtful manner, industry can play a huge role. And then finally, end users. So we're actually talking to a lot of end users who are willing to step up, put some fuel cells in their fleet, pilot them. As you said, there's pilots out there, get used to the technology, see how they can get hydrogen into their infrastructure, see if there's a way, start planning ahead. So the combination of those three things, I think, gives me a lot of optimism. Yeah, you know, you put out, uh, I can't remember how many months ago, but there was a prediction uh, that Cummins made that you would have $400 million in revenue from, uh, I, I presume it would be hydrogen and making hydrogen by 2025. Is that still on track? Is that still where you see that going? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about our electrolysis 
division, which is hydrogen production, we have three technologies that uh, can produce green hydrogen, both alkaline and PEM electrolysis, as well as solid oxide. So between those three technologies, and as I mentioned, the government announcements around certain projects, we are bidding on a ton of major massive scale projects right now, particularly around Europe, but that's not it. We have some in Canada, in the U.S., and also in Chile, Australia. So these projects are being uh, bid all over the world, and our pipeline looks really good. So we are definitely on course for that revenue projection, if not more. Where would where would the the output of those projects go? Would it be transportation fuel, or would it be uh, used in in you know solid? Uh, excuse me, in stationary fuel cells, or a little of both, or what? It's a combination. So some of the projects that we're seeing actually are take are places where in industry, um, fertilizer industry, for example, steel industry, they make hydrogen today, and they make. Uh, a gray hydrogen. So there's some carbon produced in the hydrogen making process. And they are making investments to convert that to green hydrogen. So some of our projects are just basically decarbonizing the current industries that use hydrogen. And some of them are large scale projects that will be then distributing hydrogen. Uh, So it's really a mix. And then the distribution of that hydrogen uh, will go into fueling stations and other things for mobility. All right. We've seen um, some of the uh, hydrogen uh, uh, truck makers, um, Hyzon and, and Nikola, have both been announcing projects for a range of, um, of of both electrolysis, not as much of that, but really gray hydrogen coming from, you know, taking hydrogen off of natural gas and, and things like that. Do you see yourselves as as perhaps supplying the fuel for some of these guys at certain certain routes or certain uh, corridors? Uh, do you see that happening? Well, I think a lot of uh, different players are going to come together to make this infrastructure play out. It's it's really an interesting build out of uh, historical industry players like a Chevron or like some of the major oil and gas players, industrial players like Air Products who, and Air Liquide who make hydrogen today. And then some of these startups or companies like Cummins who are going to be creating the applications. And so they want that it's in our interest to have the infrastructure coming in at the same time. So our company has done projects like Nikola has announced and Hyzon and others to actually put fueling stations in conjunction with the applications as we're putting them in. So many of us are doing those kind of projects. I think they're going to be necessary to make the build out happen. And as you talk about the the gray hydrogen, I think, you know, I also think that's going to play a role. There's a lot of talk about how good is gray versus green hydrogen and blue hydrogen. I really think uh, all of them, the investments in all of them are progress because, you know, first getting the hydrogen available and then there's technologies to then come in and uh, decarbonize them. And that's what we're seeing happen today. Some of the older technologies, which is steam methane reforming, um, you're now adding carbon capture, which takes a dirtier uh, way of making hydrogen and taking and capturing the carbon by adding carbon capture. You can also put in a PEM electrolysis, which is what we're doing a lot of, is actually replaced with electrolysis and uh, some sort of a green energy source and completely decarbonize it. So there's a progression that can happen through the technology. So just making uh, headway, making the investments is a good sign that that hydrogen and hydrogen fuel cells are going to be an important part of our mobility solutions. 
Well, and it, it feels like what you're describing, Amy, is a, is a pre-competitive sort of uh, program. I mean, you know, the U.S. car, the car side, for example, did a lot of technology work up front before it went off to being uh, a competitive thing among automakers, for example. They, they've done a lot of hydrogen in that space and have made awards and things like that. It sounds like nobody's really going to get much of an advantage here because everybody needs to be pulling the rope in the same direction right now just to get hydrogen on the map, if you will. Yeah, I feel really positive about the way the industry is progressing. There's a lot of newcomers in, and that's good for us. I love the innovation and the competition. It's going to make us better, and it's going to make us ultimately get there faster. And as you said, there's room for all of us. Uh, The technology has to advance quite a ways, both in terms of cost and reliability, durability, sophistication, to really compete with diesel, which has been around for over 100 years. Uh, so we should all play a part in that. And I think and I think we are in a really positive way. Yeah, we certainly have. And I, I'm going to move off of the truck side, even though I spend most of my time there. I want to ask you a little bit about the work, uh, the, pro- the progress, if you will, and the work that, with uh, Alstom on fuel cell trains in Germany. I, it's fascinating. Um, you've talked about it some, but uh, I'd just be curious. And I'm sure our audience would like to hear what's happening on the rails. Yeah, thank you. I was just with uh, some of the leaders at Alstom last week, and what a great partnership. I'm really thrilled to be a part of it. Cummins is really honored, and they're a great partner who's really forward-thinking and leading the way, really, in passenger rail in Europe with uh, zero-carbon technologies. A lot of people don't think, especially in the U.S., we don't think about uh, passenger rail cars. We just don't have a lot of it. Uh, But to actually electrify long passenger rail lines is really a huge infrastructure burden and expense. So hydrogen fuel cells actually provides a very cost-effective way to do that and to achieve that. And you have some great aspects of um, a point-to-point, so you know where the uh, hydrogen needs to be. You can put it there. You know your distance. You know your range that you need. So you can really design the solution really specifically for the application And it's an aggressive application. So for us, it's really proving our leading fuel cell technology, and it's giving us a way to advance that and keep uh, making it better every day. So I love this partnership. Yeah. Where would the upper limits of that be, or would there be any? I mean, you know, because clearly you have to have some success before people will listen to you. You have to look at it and say, look at how well this works. And it it just seems to make sense. Um, Is this the kind of thing as we start talking about, uh, high-speed rail as part of the infrastructure package and things like that. I don't know how much of that will actually get through, but is this something where maybe you could just potentially start with hydrogen uh, uh, fuel cells on some of these trains? Absolutely. I think both battery and fuel cells uh, are being talked about and could be viable depending on the the rail line, what the actual distances are, the range, uh, what the requirements are. So we're we're talking to people on both technologies uh, but I absolutely, I can't tell you how many inquiries we're getting and and end users are really looking hard at this as the way to decarbonize. And this is important for passengers. You know, these rail lines go into cities, go into the suburbs, they go into where all of the people and the children and everyone are. And so it's in the community's best interest to really advance that. And I can see this being maybe the earliest adopting segment. Really? You see rail then, because I, I have to ask about costs. I mean, the upfront costs, obviously, of hydrogen trucks. Again, I'm sorry, that's my default place. That's where I live. But, you know, seeing the, the upfront cost, I, I guess it would take some subsidies. It would take some some grants and things like that to get you there. But 
but you really do see that as being maybe a, a uh, I don't want to say breakout. I guess I'll say it. I won't make you say it. Do you see that as a, a breakout possibility? I do. I think it could be. And as I mentioned, you know, where there aren't already electric lines running uh, to actually electrify a rail line uh, and the and this the storage of batteries still is a hurdle to really uh, enable to carry that storage, the weight of the batteries around. Sure. Hydrogen fuel cells is a great application. Okay, let's go out to the ocean for a minute. You've never talked about this that I know of, but it would seem that, you know, we just went through sort of the the bunker fuel stuff and the cleaning up the scrubbers and things like that on the ocean. Do you see fuel cell opportunities there or is it just even a little too far to, to or, or could it maybe be a supplement to, to augment other technologies? Yeah, there's a lot of discussions going on in the many rail segments. As you know, there, I'm sorry, marine segments. As you know, there isn't one marine segment. So, you know, we just uh, launched uh, a hydrogen fuel cell, the first in a passenger ferry. So you have sort of short ferries in um, places like New York, Boston Harbor, those kind of areas. But then you also have long distance marine, um, heavy haulage. And really there's different technologies for all of those kinds of segments, and they're all advancing. We're having some really interesting discussions with our solid oxide fuel cell technology. So solid oxide fuel cells take longer to heat up, so you uh, are they're best used in applications that uh, can really leverage and generate heat and then use the heat and repurpose the heat. Uh, and it could be a very interesting technology for long-distance marine kind of applications. And then our PEM fuel cells work really well for something like a passenger ferry. Um, there's a lot of hurdles in marine, um, just again, because of the hydrogen infrastructure, again, has to play in. Where's the hydrogen available? How do you store it? Um, so there's there's those kinds of challenges as well as the cost. Uh, but But we're talking with a lot of customers in this area. Mm-hmm. So the last of the transportation areas that I want to touch on, because we cover them all, obviously, at Freightways, and that is uh, that is air. I, you know, a few years ago, a uh, previous employer uh, was interested in, in doing some of the uh, both ground work with fuel cells, you know, and the, the ground vehicles, and then also even uh, powering auxiliary power on planes. Uh, you know, there was some discussion with Airbus, for example. You may know uh, what I'm talking about. Um does that also come up? Is that another area? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because we at Cummins and Hydrogenics have done a couple of air projects. We just recently announced a H2 Fly project, which is a little four-seater airplane. We also um, have done a helicopter. And we've talked to a lot of these companies that you're talking about, um, this idea of hydrogen storage uh, and the right kinds of packaging of the hydrogen as a way for short distance aircraft um, to basically decarbonize. So you can, uh, if you package the hydrogen in the right way to accelerate fueling, obviously that's it, uh, an airplane requires a lot of fuel. So how can you accelerate fuel, have fueling available? Um, and then, as you said, a lot of the ground transport uh, equipment can be fuel cell and is today, some of the forklifts and other things. So you can start to get a little bit of an e- uh, infrastructure ecosystem built up with some hydrogen availability. And there's a lot of people in the industry talking about it. We have a ways to go, I think, uh, from safety and some other uh, hurdles that we have to cross. But there's a lot of, again, innovators, startups, people who are coming into the space trying to revolutionize it. it could be exciting. 
Yeah. Okay. I, you know who Doc Brown is from Back to the Future and the uh, what was his great invention? Doesn't matter now. But this idea of a hydrogen powered combustion engine, it sounds a little like something Doc Brown might have come up with, but you're working on it for real. Um, it is interesting to note that this 15 liter natural gas engine that you've decided to uh, make available here in North America um, is the basis for it. I wanted to sort of get your under get, get you to talk for a little bit about how this would work. And, you know, separating hydrogen from natural gas is pretty popular. Sort of, you know, it's that gray hydrogen that we referenced earlier. And it's a bit less expensive maybe than electrolyzers. But um, is this a question of tasting the rainbow? You mentioned blue hydrogen before. I won't bring up pink because we don't have anything to say about nuclear right now, I guess. But tell me a little bit about this project and how this fits together. Yeah, so at Cummins, we've really separated the internal combustion team who really focuses on finding all the innovations to advance uh, internal combustion in ways that decarbonize now. Okay, so there's a lot we can do right now. And what are the innovations that can take place? While my team really focuses on the out there, where are we going to land and let's get there as fast as possible. So our team in our engine business has been innovating and really looking at alternative fuels and different kinds of low carbon fuel solutions, as well as hydrogen and natural gas. So what, what can those recipes do to accelerate our decarbonization? It might not be zero, but is it a big step change? And then is that become a really nice bridge as the other technologies come down the cost curve. So the idea of whether it's uh, natural gas and, and hydrogen is they can be uh, painless, a little bit less painless, let's say for fleets who then can, and OEMs, who can leverage basically the same block. So you don't have to tear up your truck. You can work with equipment that you're more familiar with, that you know, um, and you might be changing your fueling system, your after treatment, some things like that, and that will certainly raise the cost. Uh, efficiency is a big challenge. How do you get the efficiencies to where the total TCO can make sense? Um, but theoretically, if it can, if you can get the efficiencies where they need to be, uh, it could be something that you could implement uh, perhaps as a bridge to the full zero carbon solutions and really be a meaningful step for fleets who are looking to to, to help. You know, they want to move forward and not wait for the perfect battery or fuel cell solution um, could this be a way? And I think Cummins is the perfect company to lead in it. Well, it, it also speaks to this whole uh, this whole issue of not letting the good be the enemy of the great, right? I mean, you don't have to get there all at one time. Um, but I presume, though, if you were to you know start with this natural gas engine and uh, basically run it uh, run hydrogen through it, you'd, you'd still be talking about splitting the from the natural gas. So this gray hydrogen would be sort of the the uh, uh, the input, if you will. Um, to, to start with, is that accurate? Yeah, and there's also a look at just full hydrogen ICE, pure, purely um, using hydrogen as the full pure fuel and looking at that and how can you do that? And does that make, again, a step towards um, getting hydrogen infrastructure available? So is it another step that brings us forward to the full end solution? Right. Well, and if you don't have the fuel cell, then you don't have the cost and all the, the you know, I guess they call it um, uh, all the extras that go with, you know, a fuel cell stack. Um, and you also stay with something that, that fleets are familiar with, which is drop in fuels. 
you know, you're, you're, you're not really looking at something, uh, you know, all, you know, brand new. Um, we're running out of time here, but I want to switch over very quickly, uh, Amy, to uh, an announcement that you had, the milestone that you had with Gilly recently and electric buses. Um, is public transit the best application, at least right now, for battery electric in your view because of the regeneration, the braking regeneration and things like that? Is that really kind of the sweet spot or a sweet spot for electric, battery electric? I think transit is a, you know, probably the the first and best because of the recipe is pretty much there in the sense that, as I said, for the cost uh, implications, you need to have some kind of subsidies, some kind of government intervention to make the TCO start to come up. And you have that in transit. Um, you also have a public interest in the people that are demanding and asking for it and caring for it. You often have point to point or you have control over your range. So you can do a lot of manipulation of your routing and other things to optimize where your batteries um, are, how you package your buses, et cetera. Um, and then, as you said, you have some of the regenerative braking and some of the other aspects of it. So I want to just say Gillig has been a tremendous partner. You know, we started working with them uh, very early on. And a lot of times the first partners that you have, they're the most special because they're the ones learning with you. And um, I'm really excited. We're getting some buses out there on the road, having really good success. And um, I think there's a lot of growing demand in the North America transit market for battery electric. And then we're also starting to hear some fuel cell questions. Could fuel cells play a role in some of the longer range bus transit bus applications? So we could also see both technologies there as well. Right. Well, you've got um, people tell me I have a fun beat because I write about autonomy and I write about electrification and, and the like. And I, I can't help but, you know, agree with them. And I think you've got a f- fabulous, fun job doing what you do at Cummins. We love having you on our on our programming. Thanks again for making time for us. Great to see you and we wish you all the best. Thank you, Alan. Really appreciate it.